there will be a shift to making cybersecurity more accessible because it's really the only way to protect those those business assets. It will become worth it for organizations to do that. And so I think they're gonna have to make that shift and that change. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey leaders, welcome back. Today I am welcoming Nick Lumsden to the show. This is Ledge, really excited to do this. And I have to throw in a little message that this was fun because I first interviewed Nick on one of my podcasts like, I don't know, three years ago. So this is a a reunion to find out where are they now? It's kind of like VH1 style. So Nick, Say hello to everybody in the audience. Tell them what you do and uh, love to jump in. Absolutely. Uh, hey, everyone. And Ledge, thanks for having me on the show, man. Uh, it's we, We've known each other. I think it's I think it's going on seven years now. I think the last time we, Is it that we long? interviewed wow. was three okay. years ago. But yeah, we, yeah, we've known each other a long time. And we always, you know, I love reconnecting with you because you always have really interesting insights in the sales and marketing side of things. And I always learn something every time I every time I talk to you. So. Well, much appreciated. I, I do my best to fake it. So. <laughs> Tell you make it, man. So, <laughs> so uh, Nick Lumsden, co-founder, CTO of Tenacity. Uh, Tenacity is a cloud operating platform that is, you know, really focused on demystifying and democratizing cyber security out to every organization, making it really, really easy to understand public cloud security costs, compliance, and, and what you have. Yeah. And that visibility is, is tremendously important. I also want to give you, Nick, a shout out because I do follow like 60,000 people on LinkedIn, but every time you actually get to the top of my feed and discoverability is an issue, but I every time Nick posts something on LinkedIn, I'm like, dude, that was a really good thought. And I think we all sit around in, in LinkedIn content world and we think I should post something really compelling and thought worthy. And you're you actually managed to do that. And I don't feel like you're just like struggling in the shower in the morning to to make it up. So tons of insights and and, and better than me at, at that. So I I really like your your thoughtful posts and I encourage everybody to, to follow them. So I don't know. Okay, cybersecurity and and all those things and visibility of of cloud, man. I don't know. Make that interesting for me. Come on, we got a we got a good audience well, here. Well, well, here's what's interesting about it is we're solving the same darn problems we were solving in the mainframe era. I mean, it, it, it's it's been decades that these problems have persisted. And in my career, twenty five years in in you know everything from you know, building software, writing software to, you know, my first startup to, to leading organizations and, and, you know, being in the, uh, the healthcare space, healthcare data analytics space, building, you know, early massive parallel processing systems and data analytics systems and uh, early cloud environments. These problems just continue to manifest no matter what the tech stack is. In public cloud, the shift from hardware to infrastructure actually being software that we can now code against 
has made it possible to solve some of these issues. And, and you said it, it's visibility, it's observability, it's transparency. It's about actually being able to get your arms around what it is you have in your business environment. And I would say most businesses, in fact, I, I can say this with confidence, it's every business. It's the rare, rare case that they actually understand what they have. Nearly every business has this problem of really understanding what's in their tech stack and is it is it, is it actually configured in a way that's going to protect their business and protect them from breaches or ransomware or the bad person who's knocking on the door? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the one of my pet favorite, you know, sort of existential topics is like we have the tools and the intelligence now to make the things so wildly complicated that we still lack the ability to uh, then manage what we have created you know we can create far larger problems than we are capable of understanding and I, I think we're always playing catch up on the visibility and intelligence side of that you know where that's a wonderful human capacity that we have to just make outrageously complex things that we can no longer figure out it's it's absolutely the truth try and try and fix your car nowadays and it's, it's not not an easy <laughs> thing to do <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I mean, so organizations making that cloud push, I mean, it's almost like, a, you know, it's almost like a, a rote statement now, you know, digital transformation, like there's simply no reason that anybody would set out to be, you know, on prem or, you know, let's manage all my own stuff. Of course, then you you meet the folks that, you know, it's it's kind of like, U.S. wireless infrastructure still has to run on copper because we, we built legacy things a long time ago. Uh, if you were to build from scratch, clearly you'd be cloud. So then you talk about like lift and shift and, you know, all that that kind of stuff. Does that introduce all kinds of problems even after the shift? It really does. So remember, if 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 you know, let's let's talk about this first. We'll kind of talk about that specifically, and then move out to kind of a business context. But you know, that specifically, a lift and shift. Remember, you're bringing with you all of the legacy problems you've had, and this problem has existed forever. So, you know, if, if that workload, and and this is real, I've seen this over and over. That workload may have lifted and shifted through multiple tech refreshes. Right? Those, those applications exist. You, you know, some some of the some of the big news hacks or attacks or exfiltration of data is due to systems that are sometimes 12, 15 years old. And they've just been moved from stack to stack to stack without really thinking about that uh, workload from the ground up. And, and that's a really hard when you when we say from the ground up, it's a really hard thing for a business to commit to and think about, you know, that that's that's difficult. And, you know, when it, when it comes to digital transformation in the cloud, you know, there's there's all these buzzwords around it. But but really for for organizations or businesses, whether they're new or whether they're, you know, well along in their in their life cycle, the power of the cloud is is the optionability that it creates. It, it really does level the playing field for everyone. It, it enables speed It enables speed to market. It enables, you know, businesses to attack solutions much, much faster from a technology side. So where decisions sometimes had to be very predictive or, or prophetic uh, in say tech buying cycles, we had to think like four or five years ahead, what's this gonna look like? Cause I'm buying this thing right now and it has to, for what it costs for me to capitalize it over that time and for it to make sense, I'm building it for the next four to five years. 
you no longer have to do that in cloud. You can be responsive now. And, and that creates all sorts of opportunity for interesting cost savings, for interesting testing of the market for a business and, and their product. But the inherent, you know, the inherent downside to that is the amount of change you're inflicting in the business behind the scenes in that back end is um is huge and with every change comes risk and so we're no longer in the era of changes came once a quarter or once a month or even once a week it's now dozens and hundreds of times a day so you, so you have these you know the trade-off is you introduce more risk from the change side but you gain the benefit of speed and speed to market and responsiveness as a business yeah yeah i mean it, and if you hear the vocabulary of cloud how it kind of just went in this direction of like, we, we quite literally, you know, create and destroy things where, you know, if you ever lived in the, and I guess it's dates, dates us, because if, if you never lived in the world where like, you know, a server was actually a metal box that you paid a lot of money for the idea that you would destroy it, you know, makes you feel like one of those like scenes out of like die hard or something where, you know, somebody's blowing up the data center. And, and now it's it's like this massive flexibility, which, of course, does introduce so much decision making complexity because, like, you have to have this experimental, you know, almost agile mindset about everything and the ability to do all the things does, in fact, introduce complexity of decision making because now we have a million things to choose from because the constraints have been removed. And then where do, where do you put assets? Because it is still money and it is still deployment. And how, how long and under what circumstances do you guardrail experimentation? Like, I mean, it, it just sort of, you know, talk about lift and shift, right? It just pushes that business complexity into a more and more abstracted mindset. Since we can do all the things, which things should we do? <laughs> Absolutely. I, th I think... For me, you know, the analogy that's used in the tech space and has been used for a long time of, of you know, our, our IT assets are no longer pets. We don't know them by name anymore. We used to, right? We named them affectionately. We called them by certain names. We knew when they were acting up. We, we, we knew their idiosyncrasies and how to fix them. And, you know, that's treating them very much like a pet. And what that infrastructure has become or what that technology has become is more like a herd of cattle. You're now managing it that way, right? You don't you don't know the names of the cattle. You're you're buying and selling them. I really don't want to know no. because I'm going to turn it into a burger right. anyway. I don't, don't want to give it a hug. You know, <laughs> so, that's exactly yeah. right. So you're, you you know you're treating it much more like a farm. Remember, you know now the danger is you knew when your pet was sick. Now do you know when you know a cow in the herd is sick? You need to be aware of that. And you need to have your eyes on that. And that's really where these tool sets come into place is, is helping identify that. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you experience on the, you know, almost the sales and marketing side of being like, it, it's, it, it kind of reminds, your space kind of reminds me of like, you know, the way people view the, the MarTech landscape and, you know, you need a legal size paper with, thumbnail sized logos to even begin to approximate the 2000 plus potential options that you can install. And I mean, you know, a search for cybersecurity firms and, and uh, it's, it's relatively crowded. So, I mean, how do you even 
think about that. I have so much respect for even trying to enter a space with that level of commoditization. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's an interesting space. Um, you know, especially, you know, cybersecurity in general is just a massive space. It hasn't consolidated yet, which is which is really kind of an anomaly in and of itself when you think about, you know, how quickly industries usually do consolidate to a top three players. And then, you know, there's there's niche players along the way, but cybersecurity is constantly changing. The the attack, uh, uh, the attack types, the kinds of threats, et cetera, are constantly changing. And what's also interesting is is because you know, sometimes the solutions in cybersecurity are so short-lived in segments of, of the industry, they attack upmarket almost exclusively. So when you think of what what is their marketing plan um, or their go-to-market plan, it is, it is really the Fortune 500, the Global 2000, right? Um, I, I've seen, you know, competitors that that that's it. They target the, the top 10, the top 100 companies, and they're going to do multi-million dollar deals. And Part of the problem in cybersecurity then is that we're ignoring the, you know, in the United States alone, the other 20 million businesses that, that really do need these solutions and are looking for, you know, help in, in having uh, really solid cybersecurity solutions democratized down to their needs. And that is the approach we decided to take. And that approach is a little more comprehensive than just offering, you know, the ability to identify vulnerabilities. It's also the ability to, to really understand everything, you know, cloud assets from, uh, uh, from an asset perspective of discoverability, what's actually there, but also from say a cost perspective, can we actually help these, these mid-market businesses save the cost of the platform and help them identify cost anomalies that might actually be cybersecurity uh, events happening uh, and bringing that all into one platform and, and then helping them understand all that from a compliance perspective, what are the regulatory needs? Because those are the sorts of difficulties that mid-market businesses face. They don't have the really, really well-funded cybersecurity team uh, with, you know, multiple, uh, several hundred thousand dollar a year cybersecurity engineers to stay on top of this, they probably have one or two folks that are doing double duty in cybersecurity and just really need the support of, of a tool that, that helps them along the way. Right, right. And there's, there's service providers and there's solutions providers and SaaS. I mean, it's like, what I, what I think is really interesting and like anybody that wants to develop a partner channel driven type of business should really pay attention to digital transformation, cyber, you know, et cetera, because like it's a great analog for all types of businesses that benefit, you know, just from a massive ecosystem. Like, you know, people are going to be using, let's say AWS, right? And then there's this idea that there's a heavily curated and authoritative way to become a partner. I think people looking for business business opportunities can really benefit from just at least understand that you may not want to be in cloud transformation or you know cyber or whatever it is, but what these major companies love them or hate them have done is be able to make a big big playing field that therefore requires a lot of help. And you're right, like most businesses just simply can't even begin to handle that and they need a partner. And so that picture of the, the sort of beneficial symbiotic flow of, of business, it's a really good analog to pay attention to for anyone in B2B. I agree. I agree. It's, um, it's really important to, you know, kind of really 
you know, understand who the market is selling to and, you know, identify whether that's you or not. And then if it's not you to, uh, you know, as you just alluded to going and identifying a partner that, that can help you and, and are they using partner friendly tools and can they actually help you? Do they have the, the sorts of um, economies of scale to, to bring solutions into the mid market? Yeah. Even evaluating that from a buyer standpoint, it's gotta be difficult. I, I imagine you guys think a lot about like that experience, you know, there's the old, like, well, geez, we know we need to do cyber. So I guess like I should spin up my spreadsheet and try to do a vendor comparison matrix. And I mean, it's just like you could do it all day long and not even dent the market of who should I give a demo call to? Yeah. So so we've completely end arounded that, gone and done an end around on that entire process because I've been a buyer for 20 years, right? And, and so we built a self-serve capability in our platform where anyone who wants to try our platform, they can get a demo from us. They can call us. That's all fine. They can also just go themselves out to the website. And within three minutes, they're configured. And within three more minutes, they're already seeing their data. So within five to six minutes, they're already in a free trial working on the actual data about their environment. And, and, the, and the reason we did that is for that right there of a lot of times that is a nightmare from a buying perspective of I don't even know where to look and who am I going to analyze and how long is this project going to take and what am I going to spend? You know, I'm a, I'm very action oriented. I'd, I'd rather just get going on something and then I can make a decision in a month. If it's not what I want, I can move to the next thing, but I would rather get going right away. Well, and at the end, the action-oriented buying, you know, the message I think everybody should take away is facilitate that ability to, you know, the, I guess the the skeptical version of that would be like, oh, they're just trying to lock me in because I'll get used to it and I'll love the data. And, you know, and, and I think that's, that's possibly true from some businesses, but I, I don't find that to be the case in, in most cases. Folks are often like you trying to say like, listen, just try it because you need to know if it's the right thing. And we don't want to waste your time on, you know, these like excessive calls. We know from the the data from a, a B2B buying standpoint, people are overwhelmed. The choices are too many. There's paralysis. And it's better just to see, does this thing suit? Because we readily admit that it doesn't suit everybody. And, and that that's a mature stance from a, a provision standpoint to not force people to go through an hour long PowerPoint, you know, let's get to brass tacks and still too many B2B firms are, are stuck in that, you know, sort of let's do a full discovery call and, you know, all that stuff. And I think you're right. Like the empathy from the buyer standpoint, which is like, what, what did I hate over the past 20 years of trying to buy technology and virtually everybody would say the same thing. Like, gosh, this is awful. You know, the, the experience of sort of not putting my phone number into a form online to get my deck painted because I know I'm going to get text messages and calls for the next year, you know, I have to burn my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so true. That is, that is so absolutely true. I, I think that buying has fundamentally changed in the past five years um, of my career in that, um, a lot of buying was done on faith previously. You know, it was a it was a big process to kind of court and date each other to build that trust. And then you're kind of you're signing the paperwork on faith to to get whatever the big thing was that you were buying, several million dollars, right? Was it really gonna do what they promised? 
And then we'll take two and a half years to implement it and it might work, but by that time you'll be bought and you'll have to turn it down anyway. That's right. That's right. And whereas now, you know, the, the SaaS world, the cloud world has really made it so that, you know, growth and scale is product led and there shouldn't be a reason, especially in the cybersecurity space, that organizations aren't product led, that they aren't letting you try the product first to experience it, to really understand what it can do for you. Uh, because that's how public cloud works. That's how Amazon, that's how AWS, I mean, I'm sorry, that's how Azure, that's how Google work, right? It's it's all product-led growth. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I gave you the kudos of, you know, being a very insightful guy on, on LinkedIn. And, you know, and I think that goes to like collection of experiences and ability, you know, to express them. And, and I, I've enjoyed that, you know, sort of as a follower. When you look at the lessons learned. You look at the there's key things of, you know, working for somebody else, going through rebrands, going through, you know, acquisitions, dispositions, starting companies, leading companies, kitchen table, all the way up to scaling and raising money. You know, what stands out? You know, like uh, put that into, you know, some some key takeaways. Sure. So there's so many things that stand out ledge. So I'm like, I'm internally processing a, a priority list right now. I, I would say, you know, top of mind message for everyone in your career. And I know it's really hard when you're early in your career, but be your authentic self. Um, it takes us a while to actually kind of figure that out, but, you know, use ledge as an example here. You're always your authentic self. And when you can express yourself that way, you're going to, you're going to find people that really love that and you're going to find some people who don't and it's okay. That's actually good, right? So if you're trying to please everyone, you're just kind of average, normal, you know, vanilla, that's, that's not as great as just being yourself and having people who just, you know, who, who like to be around you and people who don't, that's okay. I'd say the second thing is, is in everything you do, I, I've learned this in business. I've gotten burned on not considering the context sometimes of decisions. And so always stopping for a moment before an important decision and just considering the context of it. That could be in making the right hire. That could be in uh, keeping an employee too long. That could be in making a really pivotal, pivotal business decision or strategic decision is always taking that moment to step away from whatever it is you're doing go outside, go for a walk, walk in your garden, go kayaking, whatever it is, but then just take five minutes to consider that context, come back and then actually make the decision. I think a lot of mistakes would be, would be avoided if we all did that. I think what you just said is, is meta interesting too, because you clearly describe in order to process the context of a decision, I, or you have to, or maybe it's useful to change your context like you know so that's the go for a walk go kayaking you know whatever and I, I think everybody you know knows the story of you know my best decisions happen when i'm i don't know going for a run or taking a long hot shower or you know whatever that is so the the shifting of context is really about that creativity of uh, thinking about problems from from different ways i know one of my favorite things is when i'm feeling blocked i quite literally find a place in my house that i have never sat down or lied down and i go do it and you know and that'll be you know weird like sit upside down in a corner of my kids room 
and observe the world that way. And besides the fact of finding dirty socks and, you know, spiders and all kinds of nasty stuff, it just, I don't know, you know, shift that brain blood flow or, or something. And you kind of imagine yourself walk upside down on the ceiling. And what would this room look like? And, and I have to, I have to force that. It doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to me. I am a, I'm an executor having been given an idea. I'm almost, you know, not this visionary type, but if you brought me your idea, I would go to town on, you know, how exactly will we execute this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that um, you, you just said it there, you know, getting change, being able to think about context means changing your context. The same is true in, and um, I got this wrong early in my career. The same is true of your best ideas come after you take a break. Um, and so being deliberate about taking a break in letting your, your brain, your body, everything just recover, you get out of the muck and the, in the melee of whatever's going on in life and in, in business. And suddenly ideas start to emerge and I'm very deliberate and very intentional about that. There's, uh, I have a rhythm to how I get away. And if you were to look at the ideas in the business and when we, when we, uh, uh, get new ones, it's, it's shortly after we take breaks. How, how, like, what's your schedule? How, how deliberate are we talking? Very about? deliberate. So my, here, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the formula. My wife and I plan it out a year ahead. Um, we always take two one week vacations with our family because it's dedicated time. It's to the kids because you got to have your priorities, right? Right. You know, you want to raise good kids. You got to spend time with them. You got to be a, a, a good parent. Uh, so it's two one week vacations. Uh, my wife and I take two vacations. They're a long weekend, usually like three nights, four nights, something like that a year. Uh, we plan them out. Uh, one's usually in February and one's usually in the summer. And it's just us, no kids. We get to go be, you know, 25 year olds again. And that's really important because, you know, that's your number one business partner. Your spouse is your number one business partner. And so you need to spend time with one another to just reconnect on that, that level that was there when you met. And then uh, we also each take at least two and sometimes more uh, long weekends alone, just solo. I go hiking. My wife likes to go with her girlfriends to, you know, wine country or wherever, because she's more social than I am. But I find that if I do that and I plan ahead, it helps me keep my health in line. It helps me keep my family in line. It helps me keep burnout at bay, helps keep my mental health in check, because I know that time is coming where I'm going to go away. I'm going to you know, decompress everything alone. I'm going to have some of the best ideas that I come back with. I get to think about the business a lot. Yeah. It's like something to look forward to. Uh, I, I really think you need to feed that that hope and I, the times that I feel burned out are the times I'm like, there is no end in sight, you know, and, and, and that's a failure of, of my own planning, you know, it's just like, because if you get up close to the time that you need it, you simply would not have blocked out that time. And, uh, I think I resonate a lot with this and, you know, it's, I, I suppose somebody could be saying, well, you know, I work for the man and, you know, I don't get to, to do that, uh, you know, you guys are the founders, you can take time off. And, uh, but, you know, I do think people can create that if they, you know, are really thoughtful about it. And we do know, you know, whatever, 76% of Americans don't even take the time they're allocated, you know, so I, I think that's absolutely important. And most people leave out the alone time and becoming comfortable and interested in being alone was a big mental shift that I didn't make until my early forties, you know, and, and becoming comfortable with the introvert who 
pretends to be an extrovert, you know, for work purposes. I'm one of those two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Working those sales calls all day long. I mean, I'm exhausted. Like I am, I am on screen performing, you know, and I think of it and when I started to calculate it and think of it that way, it was much more productive to be like, you know what I really, really do now? I want to go out and put on my book on my headphones and I want to rake the yard or trim a tree or paint a fence. And that's when I feel the best. And you're kind of like, dude, you are boring. But um, when I when I stop trying to make myself resonate with, I need to go to these networking meetings and, you know, go to and like work the room and like, it didn't feel good. And uh, so in that sense, you know, uh, for those of us that were, you know, kind of the, uh, the happy people, not happy, but when it, you know, pandemic was like, well, I don't leave the house anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I was one of those. I was one of those that, that I, you know, I, 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 just a personal anecdote on the pandemic. I realized when the pandemic happened, how much time the office distracted me and how much more effective I was working without those distractions. And I think that's true of probably a lot of introverts that, that the extroverts probably didn't, I know they didn't, you know, many didn't feel that way. Um, but how distracting an office is to someone who needs that focus time and for whom a context switch is really expensive. It's amazing how much more productive the past two years have been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. So I told you at the beginning, I, I make everybody kind of put on their futurist hat, you know, and kind of go, all right, like there's, endless amounts of, of input and doom scrolling and, you know, sort of blogs you can read and all kinds of distracting crap. But what, what do you think must be on the, the B2B leaders radar, you know, going out into the next couple of years? And, and that can be business contextual or, you know, wh whatever it is, you know, open-ended. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a few things to, to probably think about from a business perspective. You know, the first one is, and I think we all realize this, whether we like it or not, uh, is the context for work has changed. And, you know, the uh, the industrial era eight to five in the office, I, I think is probably going away. I mean, we're seeing that happen right now. And I, I think that paradigm we can help. I'm, I'm on the uh, I'm on team remote like you. So <laughs> I, I am as well. And I've I've never had a more productive staff than my worldwide global you know, development team that, that can be anywhere and work from anywhere. And I would say that in, you know, specific to the industry I'm in, you know, there, there will be a shift to making cybersecurity more accessible because it's really the only way to protect those, those business assets. It will become worth it for organizations to do that. And so I think they're going to have to make that shift and that change. And I would say that the, you know, the skill shortage and the worker shortage that we see and we have seen for several years now in technology is only going to exacerbate. I don't think it's going to get better. So it is about finding the right solutions, getting the right solutions in place early on so that you're not caught in the trap where you suddenly need dozens of people to help you clean up the mess. Um, you're going to <laughs> want to try and, and, and think carefully, build carefully and hire the right people. And then keep them. Yeah, yeah. The the ability to make a mess is never been greater. Uh, thus, you know, make make decisions widely, which is to say, take your time off and spend your alone time and make good choices. 
hire only when you need to preserve cash, you know, and God bless America. So, <laughs> Nick, I always appreciate your time. Um, if anybody is resonating with your buttery smooth delivery of insights, where can they find you online? How can they reach out and, and get in your world? Yeah, you bet. So, of course, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, it's it's really simple to find me out there, um, and you know, we'll we'll drop a. a I'll drop a link anytime we post the show out. So second is, you know, hit up to nastycloud.com slash merch and get a cool shirt. Cause if I see you wearing it, I'm going to stop you and talk to you. So um, nice, nice. it is, it is a good logo, good colors. I'm totally down for everybody. You should go watch the video also for, for Nick's beard. I mean, a championship beard growth right here. So Nick, you're, Always fun to have around. Always enjoy it. I'm glad we got to do this. And uh, thank you so much for the insights. Thanks, Ledge. Look forward to it again. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.